Well, hey, everyone, I want to thank Dave for sharing that story with us. You know, as a church, even in the midst of COVID, we're in a season where we're, we're seeking to be people who build bridges with others. And uh, Dave's story is just a great example of that. So I look forward to hearing how that story continues to unfold. If you've got a Bible, I'm going to ask you to join with me in turning to Exodus chapter 34, Exodus 34. As you're doing that, just a heads up that at the end of our service, we're going to be celebrating communion together. So I'll give you a little time toward the end to get the elements that you can use to uh, celebrate that with us together. Now, as we come to Exodus 34, I want, I want to begin with two questions. The first question is this, um, how would you describe yourself in three to five phrases? I mean, what, what phrases would you use to describe your, your personality, your character? Funny, serious, hardworking, overly cautious, short-tempered, looking out for others. How would, how would you describe yourself in three to five descriptors? Uh, by the way, if, if you're going to be having lunch with other people, family, or friends, this is a great conversation starter just to go around the table and, and answer that question and, and also to see how other people respond to the ways in which you have described yourself. Now, that type of interaction leads to a second question. The first question, how would you describe yourself? Here's the second question. Have you ever been in a situation where, where you said, this person or this group simply doesn't understand me? Have you known that experience? Um, if you've been there, I, I'm sure you've experienced a certain level of frustration. Maybe it's been a situation in school or a situation in the workplace where it's like, they, he just doesn't get me. She just doesn't get me. Or maybe, and this is often where it's the most painful, maybe it's a family situation. And maybe you're, you're kind of going through that right now. Even now you would say, you know what? My parents don't understand me. Or my son or daughter don't understand me. And if you end up saying that, there's, there's just a certain frustration, a certain disappointment that comes with that. Now that I've given you those two questions, I want to ask them again. But this time, I want to ask them in reference to God. So, how would you describe God in three to five phrases? What terms would you use? Love, holy, omnipresent, all-powerful. What are the... What are the first things that come to your mind when you think about God? And as you think about that, let's come to that second question. What are ways in which we might misunderstand God? You know, I think most likely, at least for some of us, our experiences this year have, have probably led to some soul-searching questions. Have you found yourself wondering, you know, okay, so where's God in all of this that we've gone through in 2020? In fact, maybe as we've gone through the year and just with the weightiness and the tiredness that has come with this, maybe the truth is this year has been deeply demotivating for you spiritually. Maybe in the midst of all this, you would say, I've, I've, just, you know, I've just kind of lost interest spiritually. I know God is there, but right now I'm just tired. Maybe you would say, I'm not drawn to God the way I used to be. Now, now the truth is what we have gone through has has been draining. It's been demoralizing. And if you, you find yourself kind of tired and lethargic emotionally and spiritually, I think there are lots of things that can be at work, lots of things contributing to that. But could it be the case that a contributing factor to that is our understanding of God? 
Could it be the case that in some ways I'm operating with a deficient understanding of God and, and all that I've gone through this year is simply bringing that to the surface. It is exposing that deficient view. Today, we're continuing our series entitled God Reveals. Uh, as we go through the Christmas season, we're taking time to look at several important moments in the Bible where God has revealed himself, the revelation of his presence, the revelation of his name. And this morning, as we come to a scene in Exodus 34, it's the revelation of God's character. Now, as we come to this uh, scene, and let me just give you the background, the context very briefly. Uh, in, in this part of Exodus, we see Moses going up on the mountain of Sinai to receive God's law. And, and while, he's, while he's on the mountain, the, the people were down below, and basically they decided to take matters into their own hands. They, they made a golden calf and proclaimed, this is our God. Now, after discovering what happened, uh, Moses has a series of conversations with God. He pleads with God to spare the people. And as the situation unfolds, we really do see, we see both God's justice and his mercy. I think undoubtedly Moses had to be wondering in the course of these conversations, is this going to be where the relationship ends? Is it really going to be over before it truly even starts? Why would God keep his promises if this is how God's people are going to respond to him? Yet, that's exactly what God does. He does keep his promises. And I think Moses had to, at times, be wondering, <laughs> why? Why are, you, why are you doing this? Who are you? So Moses asked, God, show me your glory. And what he's requesting is, is to see God's face. I want, to, I want to see who you really are. But God says, you, you can't handle that, Moses. However, what I want you to do is this. I want you to go into this, this small cave on the side of the mountain. And once you're, you're safely in the cave, I'm going to pass by. And as this happens, uh, God reveals things about himself to Moses. He reveals his character. So now we come to the opening part of Exodus 34, really beginning in verse Six, as, as God passes by, this is what we hear. This is God revealing himself. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Exodus 34, 6 and 7. Now, as we read this, um, understand the significance of the text that, that I've just read for you. First of all, understand this is the first description of God's character that we encounter in Scripture. Furthermore, there are those who would argue that this really is the fullest description of God's character that we uh, describe, that's described for us in Scripture. And interestingly, one of, the, one of the clues to this passage's significance is the fact that its wording, its phrasing, is, is repeated by a number of biblical authors as we go through the pages of Scripture. In fact, you know, people differ on how they count this, but it, there appear to be at least 25 places uh, 
where other biblical authors are uh, coming back to the scene and coming back to the language used here. And so we see in a variety of different situations, sometimes under deep distress, biblical authors coming back to this passage and saying, this is what we need to understand about God. This is what we need to remember about God. So if, if we want to understand who God is, particularly in a season like we're going through now, when we're under stress, I think this is a great place to start. So let's, let's walk through this text slowly. Now, earlier I asked you to, uh, uh, to describe God in three to five phrases. Remember that? What, what were the first terms that came to mind for you? I'm not sure what, what crossed your mind. But as we begin looking at verse 6, would you notice that all of the descriptors in this passage are relational? Just, just let that sink in for a moment. All of the descriptors are relational. Now remember, Moses has just found himself in a situation as the leader of the nation where he's had to wonder, is, is this it? Is it going to be over? Is God going to destroy us? Or is he just going to leave us out here on our own? And now God reveals himself. And as he reveals himself, the emphasis is on relationship. God is telling Moses, Moses, I I want you, I want your people to know me. And I want them to be in relationship with me. Likewise, maybe for you, if we're honest, this this has been a year (laughs) where you've wondered, okay, God, where are you in all of this? Maybe this has been a year for you where you've really wondered, God, are are you just leaving me on my own to figure this out? And if that's the case, let me just invite you now as we enter into this text to, to listen carefully to the terms that are described. Listen to how God describes himself and understand that God really is pursuing a relationship with us. So let's understand God's character as we come to the terms used in Exodus 34, beginning in verse 6. So here, here are the descriptors that are used. First of all, there's the term compassionate. Interestingly, in Hebrew, this term is related to the term for womb. And so this, this term could be used to describe a, a mother's compassion for her child. And I think included in, in this idea is, is the idea that true compassion leads to action. We see that in a number of places. The next term is, is the term gracious. And this, this communicates the idea of favor. Again, it has the idea of, of taking action, um, taking action because you are for someone. But, but it's stronger than that. It's just not a willingness to act because you are for someone. It, it includes acting because you, you delight in them. It, it speaks of God's delight in the people that he is calling to himself. Then we hit this phrase, slow to anger. Interestingly, in Hebrew, this is, this is an idiom. If you translate it literally, it, it actually means long of nose. Now, what's that about? Well, here's, here's what the Hebrew language is getting at in a very interesting way. It's getting at the fact that when we get really angry, right, our face shows it, right? You know, you've seen that. Maybe it's happened to you. It's happened to people that you know, right? The face turns red. We grit our teeth. When we get really angry, our face shows it. In fact, in English, we can refer to someone being really angry as someone who is hot-headed. So this is the idea of being slow to anger. 
The next phrase that we encounter in this passage is this, abounding in love. And this, this is the Hebrew term hesed. I mention that because it's, this is a really important term in, in the Old Testament. It's important in this passage. In fact, it's repeated in verse 7. And it's important throughout the pages of Scripture. And the idea, it's translated many ways, but I think the, the idea is the idea of loyal love. In, in the Bible, this can be used in relationship to covenants, to formalized agreements, formalized relationships. Not surprisingly, then, in, in some places you will see this term translated as covenantal love. Maybe, maybe I can illustrate it this way. Have you been to a wedding or have you watched a wedding this year? Uh, this year's been an interesting year for weddings. I think about several weddings that I've been a part of this year, and weddings have just been different during COVID. It's frequently the case that this year weddings have involved just a handful of people, maybe just immediate friends and family, and a camera so that the wedding can be live streamed online to additional individuals. Yet even in the midst of all that's been going on this year, even on a wedding day that didn't unfold as a couple has planned, I've seen couples stand facing each other and and make vows of commitment. And in those vows of commitment, they're not simply expressing their love for each other at that moment. They are expressing their commitment to each other in an ongoing way. Now, at its best, what is it that motivates someone to do that? It's hesed. It's loyal love. It's covenantal love. Now, while this is expressed imperfectly by us, even in things like a marriage relationship, it is expressed perfectly by God. And that's what's being described here, his loyal love to his people. And then finally, in verse 6, we get this term, faithfulness. And simply put, this means God keeps his promises. And and I think one of the reasons this term is used is this. Ultimately, even as we're in relationship with God, God is beyond our comprehension. And at times we feel that acutely. At times, even perhaps this year, we wrestle with, well, what's, what's God doing? Is he really at work? Has he left me on my own? Where is he in all of this? And particularly at those times, we need to come back to this truth. Even when I don't fully understand it, God is faithful. He is faithful to his people. He is faithful to his promises. So this is how God describes himself, beginning in verse 6. Compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love, and faithfulness. Let's be honest, this is a great verse. This is an encouraging verse. But you know what? Things get more complicated as we move on in this passage. So let's now come to verse 7. Even as as verse 6 describes certain things about God, verse 7 describes how God acts. And so we read this, maintaining love to thousands. And then we're given specific examples of what that looks like. First, it includes it's forgiving wickedness. But the passage doesn't stop there because it also says, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. And based on this, the way the verse is constructed, I think part of what we're seeing here is that God's justice flows out of his love. 
Here we see that for God to be truly loving, he must respond to sinfulness, wickedness, and, and corruption that is now at work in his good creation. We see that God's love and his justice go together. We are not to see one without the other. Now, this is where this passage becomes really complicated and confusing, because in describing God's justice, the passage talks about punishing the children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation. Now, what exactly does that mean? Does that mean if my great-grandparents really messed up that I'm cursed? Is that what this passage is saying? Well, I think at this point, it's helpful to look at other passages that use similar language and similar imagery. And one of those is actually found in the Ten Commandments. So this is what we read in Exodus chapter 20. Notice the similar language, but there's, there's further explanation in this passage. Punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Notice this, of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Now, what is the idea here? The idea is not, you know what? You're going to be held accountable for what your great-grandparents did. That's not the idea. The idea is this. If subsequent generations repeat the same sinful parents as their parents, right? Ongoing generations of those who hate me. If subsequent generations repeat the same sinful patterns, they too will experience God's justice they will experience the consequence of their sin. In other words, what Exodus 34 is highlighting is the stability, consistency of God's justice, and I think, and the accountability that all of us have as part of his creation. So, here's the description of God's character as he reveals himself to us in Exodus 34. It shows that God is relational, that he is pursuing us. And the focus of the passage is really on his love, his loyalty, his faithfulness. Yet even in highlighting his love, this passage also warns of God's justice and the reality of his accountability. Now, at this point, you might say, well, George, okay, this is an interesting exercise in theology, but why why is this important? Why is it important that we pay attention to God's revelation in Exodus 34? Why do we need to be attuned to these different character traits that describe him? Well, I think one reason is this. It's important for us to pay attention to this text and text like it. Because otherwise, we may get stuck in an inadequate view of God. For instance, maybe I've gotten stuck in what you might call a generic view of God or a deistic view of God, right? I mean, you know what? God's out there. I believe he's out there. I believe in him. I go to church or I watch online and, you know, I pray uh, when I really need something. Yet, what's really missing is that relational dynamic. What's really missing is an understanding that God is actually pursuing us and, and, and pursuing a relationship with us. Maybe I've gotten stuck in what you might call a judgmental view of God. I only see the theme of justice in Scripture, and there are a variety of reasons why we can get stuck here, sometimes flowing out of our own life experience. And so constantly I'm wondering, well, do I really measure up? Am I doing enough? And and what is missing is an understanding of God's hesed, his loyal love, and how he has made it possible through the gospel 
for us to experience that loyal love. Maybe, maybe I've settled for a moralistic view of God, right? Something that goes like this. Well, you know what? If I do things for him, he will do things for me. If I try to lead a good life, he will make a good life happen. And the truth is, if you've gotten stuck in that view, this this may have been the year where that kind of view has just come tumbling down on you. Maybe you found yourself saying, you know what? I thought I was doing the right thing, but all of this has happened. And what's missing here is a recognition that, you know what? As as God brings us into, (laughs) into relationship with him, we're not always going to understand how he's at work. He's, he's beyond our comprehension. And yet, even in the midst of uncertain times, the truth is he is loyal and he is faithful. He will finish what he has started. So I think we need to understand God's revelation here. I think it's important because otherwise we can find ourselves stuck in a deficient view of God. Furthermore, I, and, and I think maybe ultimately this passage is important because it anticipates the work of Jesus. This passage is important because when you read the storyline of Scripture, this passage leads us right to the Christmas story. Centuries after Moses' experience, John would introduce us to Jesus. And as he introduces us to who Jesus is and what Jesus is about, listen to these words from John chapter 1. John writes, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only son who is himself God and is in the closest relationship with the father. And he is the one who has made him known. Now, the truth is, as John is writing this, as John is introducing us to Jesus in the back of his mind is Exodus 34. This phrase, grace and truth, is basically the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew phrase that occurs in Exodus 34, 6, that talks of God's abounding love and faithfulness. This is, this is an echo of that phraseology. Furthermore, notice John is, is talking specifically about Moses, and he talks about the fact that no one has ever seen God. Well, that takes us right back to Exodus 34, where God could not show his face to Moses. Yet John is saying, ultimately, that passage is now leading us to God's ultimate revelation in Jesus Christ. And I think when we come to this passage, particularly during this season, it's like, it's like John is looking at you and looking at me, and he's saying this. <laughs> I know you're ready for 2020 to be done. But what you are celebrating this Christmas even remotely, even online, what you are celebrating is the ultimate fulfillment of Exodus chapter 34. You're celebrating the fact that God is pursuing us. He's pursuing a relationship with us. That's why he sent his son. You're celebrating the fact that he is faithful to his promises. He is loyal to his people, even in seasons that we do not fully understand. And you're celebrating the fact that his justice has been revealed ultimately through the work of Christ on the cross, whereby he took on our punishment. And so I can hear John saying, as he reflects on our situation in Exodus 34, don't let your experiences of this year distract you from who God really is. Don't get stuck in an inadequate view of God.
And I think the description we read in Exodus 34, the description we read in John chapter 1, leads us really to this question. And that's how should we respond? How should we respond to this description of God in the story of Moses that ultimately anticipates the work of Christ? Well, perhaps the best answer to that question, how should we respond, is found in Moses' own response. Notice Exodus 34, 8 and following. So after going through this experience, what did Moses do? He worshiped. He worshiped. Moses bowed to the ground at once and worshiped. Lord, he said, if I have found favor in your eyes, then let the Lord go with us. Now, with that in mind, let me just invite you just to reflect on one final question. In a moment, we're going to have this time of communion and as we celebrate God's work through Christ, as we celebrate the fulfillment of Exodus 34, can I just encourage you to mull over this question a little bit? And that question is this. Does my view of God lead to worship? Does my view of God lead to worship? And if if the answer to that question is not yes, then am I really worshiping the God who has revealed himself in Exodus 34 and John chapter 1? If the answer to that question is not yes, am I really worshiping the one who is at work in the Christmas story? Let's pray together. Gracious God, as we come to this passage, I can can only imagine what this experience was like for Moses. I can only imagine some of the questions, the doubts, the confusion that had been whirling around this chaotic scene. And yet in the midst of all that, you, you reveal yourself as being faithful and true. You reveal the reality that you are pursuing us, that you are loyal, and that even out of your loyalty comes the work of your justice. But now that work of justice has been taken on through the cross of Jesus Christ. So, Father, I pray that even in the midst of all that we're going through, that the truth of Christmas, the truth of the one revealed in Exodus 34, can lead us to worship. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.